0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au I
1: want
0: to invite Dale and Angela up. Stand up and give them a round of applause as they come up. We had a um, great time with uh, Dale and Angela sharing with us last night and uh, Dale shared quite a bit of his testimony which is pretty powerful stuff and uh, pretty impactful stuff. So um, if you get a chance to talk to him about some of that later on, I encourage you to ask him some questions because it was really good. I really appreciate his uh, his openness, um, vulnerability last night to us um, and what he had to share about the way God has worked and still does work in and through people. Um, So I don't know if you want to say anything by way of introduction for yourselves or whether you just want to launch into it.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Angela and this is Dale. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about us, we've been married for nearly 30 years. We have three children, two girls who are 26 and a son who's 24. We also have one little granddaughter who's three months old, who's very cute, um, of course. Um, and, of course, yes. Um, she has more hair than Dale, so, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we planted a church about 16 years ago in Sydney. We were originally from Tasmania. Dale was born and bred Tasmanian. I'm not born and bred Tasmanian. Um, and I'm born in England, Yeah. But I have a certificate that says I'm Australian, so um so we plan a church uh in a place called Campbelltown in New South Wales and which is just at the bottom end of Sydney. Um and it's sort of become two churches. We've merged two churches about eight years ago, it's called Living Hope. Um and that's probably about it for me. All right.
1: Thank you, Angela. Really? It'll be just like we're at home. Cool. Um yeah, it'd be
0: great. All right. Everyone stand up and just reach your hands out and we'll just pray for for Dale as he uh, launches into this. Father, thank you for the ministry this man has and the, uh, the experiences you've put him through, the way you've grown him in your word, you've grown him in your rela- the relationship with you, you've grown him in his understanding of spiritual things. Lord, we pray this morning that you will speak through him, that uh, you will use his words, his insights into Scripture, Lord, to challenge us, to stretch us, to grow us, to encourage us. Lord, we pray that uh, uh, none of us will walk out of here this morning unaffected by what Dale has to share with us this morning. And uh, Lord, we pray that in every case that uh, we'll walk out this morning drawn closer to you, even if it's because you've put your finger on something in our life that makes us uncomfortable, Lord, that causes us to to run to you. So, Lord, would you use his words and would you use his heart this morning to speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Ian. Um, I'm going to ask if I can be a nuisance. Would it be possible just to turn the house lights on and maybe the spot? Off uh just the reason I want to do that is so I can see you better and not be a bit dazzled. It's sort of I don't know it's because of my eyesight or my glasses, but now I can see you better, and I won't have that shining there, so not trying to be precious or whatever, but I just prefer that, and that'll make me feel better. so Thank you very much for having us with you um so it's really good to be here uh, it's a privilege to speak into other churches and other contexts. It's not something I take for granted. Um, I think it's something that uh, we should do with humility um, and just respect, but we come also to try and represent Christ and bring something that's helpful. Uh, What I I want to talk about today um, is the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom. So that's like the broad subject heading. Um, And I was thinking about paul who said in romans i love the book of romans uh well-known verses he said i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god for the salvation of everybody who believes first for the jew then the gentile for in the gospel a righteousness from god is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous shall live by faith i was thinking about that song that we were singing uh, i will build my life we sing that song to uh, house fires thing and Great words and it talks about building your life on Christ and Jesus said that. He said, Well, you know, a wise man builds his house upon the rock and it's an analogy of course of sand versus rock but he actually went on to say what the rock is. Usually we say, Well the rock is Jesus and that's right. But he said the wise man who builds on the house on the rock, which yes is Jesus, but is the person who hears his words and puts them into practice. That's what it means to build on the rock. For someone who listens to his word, the word of God and not just hears it only, because there's a self-deception that can come in hearing only. Booker James tells us that if we are hearers only of the word and not doers, then we're, like, we're deceived. It's actually quite possible for us. In, we're quite educated in the West. We know a lot about scripture. But sometimes we can, I think, subconsciously have knowledge and think that we're doing. For example, we have knowledge of the great commission and the great commission says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to uh, reach people disciple them baptize them plant churches because he said i want you to uh, teach them everything that i'm saying those words of jesus again you can't really do that unless you're in the context of a local church and so god is about the business of sending us out to reach other people and we know that you know that you've known that forever if you've been a christian for a while You hear that very uh, readily and easily. But here's the question, do we do that? Are we actually doing that? Are we actually reaching out to people? Um, Or is it just knowledge that we have in our head? And we do it through our life, absolutely, uh, and with our lips for sure. And it's not one or the other. People who I think emphasize maybe our lifestyle will say sometimes, you know, they like that quote that says, we should preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Well, that's cool. I get what they're saying, but we're told to go out and speak the gospel. Uh, Romans later on said, well, you know, uh, how is anyone going to hear unless someone's sent? And when they sent, you know, actually the scripture says, well, their feet are beautiful. Why? Because they're carrying good news. Jesus said that I've come and God has anointed me to set captives free, to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted. And that's what we're meant to do. Could I suggest to you? This is my experience as a pastor who's, uh, as Angela said, we planted a church 16 years ago. Uh, I reckon there's about 20 people that have made commitments to Christ in that time. And I'm not sure how many people have actually uh, continued on out of that 20. And we've helped a lot of people and that's great. And we've gathered people, terrific, uh, all, all good. And yet I think often that, man, we're missing something here. We are meant to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing Christ intimately, going out representing him and seeing people come into relationship with him. We're meant to be doers of this word and going out. And the thing I was going to suggest to you to come back to what I was going to say a moment ago is that I think the church's default position is introspection. It's inward looking. Uh, You could be more bold and say it's almost incestuous, incestuous in an analogous sort of way is that we are so concerned about us and what we do and how we function and what we believe and what we think and we can have endless Christian gatherings but not be going out. So we've heard about the Great Commission but are we actually advancing the kingdom? So it's a good question for all of us and it's challenging for me. You know, as a pastor, I spend a heap of time with Christians. Christians are always wanting my attention. So, I'm, you know, I'm in church, I'm in a connect group and I'm in a leaders meeting and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you may have your kids in Christian school and there's nothing wrong with that. And so you're surrounded by Christians in Christian school and then you go to all of these meetings and then, uh, oh, no, what, now I have to reach out to someone? I'm a bit too tired for that. I'm a bit too busy for that. But God wants us to have a kingdom mindset and to think outside these four walls and outside our own lives. And he wants us to think about what he wants us to do, not just what we want to do. So thanks to Ian and Mel for having us. We appreciate it. And I just want to share a little bit more about what it is to have a kingdom mindset. So I think we've got a slide, oh there it is, and it's going to come up there, excellent. So I want to talk about kingdom mindset. And so a really well-known verse is this one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Often as new Christians we read through the Gospels. This is a well-known passage. We probably bump into this fairly early on if you become a Christian and you become aware of these scriptures. And we see that there's this priority that Jesus said that we should have is that we should be seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? If we had a bit more time, we could read the context. The context is talking about the worries of life, material things, uh, not freaking out. The passage says, don't freak out. And that's me Ad-libbing uh, about these those things of, in life. Don't worry, God cares about you. He looks after the birds, doesn't he, of the air? He cares more about you. He knows the hair on your head. Some of us is easier to count than others. Um, and so, God is interested in us. And yet, the very thing that He says here, uh, in the context of those worries of life and material pursuits and, and food and clothing, etc., I think they're the very things that stop us pursuing the kingdom often particularly in Sydney, and Sydney is not much different to Melbourne because there is such an intensity uh, in regards to finances. If you're young and you're thinking, how will I ever buy a house? And so you think, I must pursue my career. We've got to have both, got to have jobs most likely, unless there's some family help. And it's really difficult even just to rent and to pull it all together. And our time is so occupied. And then Jesus says, hang on, I want you to seek first the kingdom, it's our priority. It's not that we shouldn't pursue these other things, but it's about priorities, about what, that which is most important. So what is most important to you as an individual? What is most important to you and I as individuals, but yet also what is important to us as a local church? So a good question to ask, and the answer is at the bottom there on the slide yeah, in a simple way, is what is the kingdom of God? What the heck is Dale talking about here? Is he talking about the church, Seek First the Church? Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. And then in a moment move on to having what I would call a kingdom mindset, to thinking about advancing this kingdom and to take that into our heart and live it out. So the kingdom of God very simply is everywhere that Jesus is established as king. So the kingdom of God is here amongst us. It's not the church necessarily, but the church is a part of the kingdom. And so everywhere where Jesus' rule and reign is, that is the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is in heaven. And so we're instructed and encouraged by Jesus to pray that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's where his rule and his reign is. And where Jesus' absolute rule and reign is, there is righteousness. And there is no sickness and there is salvation and there's great relationships between people. And there's all of the things that we read about the good stuff in scripture are evident in the kingdom. I think the kingdom of God in its essence would have to be the trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. It's this relational community of three but one in a mystery, beings that have lived forever. The uh, theologians say they're co-eternal and co-equal. And so they've always been around. And here they are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this perfect relationship where there is no sin, sickness, death, spite, malice, gossip, etc. And they have this perfect relationship. Sin has marred the kingdom. But in Christ, we are invited back into it to have God's rules set everything right. And so we're meant to be advancing the kingdom, each one of us. We are representatives of the kingdom. When we leave from church on a Sunday, we should go out and, hey, I'm a child I'm of the king. I'm a, a son. I'm a daughter of the king. Jesus has called me not just to know him, but to actually to get on board with his mission and to advance the kingdom. I can advance it by submitting humbly in my heart. So we can be here today and think, well, yes, we're in the kingdom. But if Jesus really isn't Lord in your heart and there's areas of aspects, how much is the kingdom really established in your life if there's areas of darkness that you haven't surrendered to him? So we need to surrender our own heart. So let the king be the king of my heart. Let him be the king of my heart. Let him be the king king in our church. We want to run our church in such a way that reflects the kingdom. And let this kingdom go out and advance into the world around about us so jesus said priorities get our priorities straight let's seek first the kingdom let's talk a little bit more about the kingdom before talk about kingdom mindset i've done what i always do in my own church which is i don't press the go button on the timer so i usually make the lame joke of my time starts from now so anyway let's have a look at a diagram that really helps me and actually I have a bunch of these because i thought i was going to share this yesterday and didn't get to it at all so there's copies of that there, but you can Google this and some of you may have seen it before. This diagram helps me understand a little bit about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God in all of its fullness will not be seen until Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom here. At the moment, Satan is the prince in the power of this place. The cross is has, has intervened through what Jesus did on the cross and broken in and it has established the kingdom here it's now but it's not yet in its fullness and as i said earlier that when the disciples said "Well, teach us to pray jesus we'll pray this way our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's the establishment of the kingdom it can be in our heart it can be in our church it can be in our schools it can be in our society it can be in nations but each time we submit and we cooperate with god a little bit more of the kingdom is established in us individually and collectively so this diagram helps me if you have a look at it you see well there was before uh the fall you could say there was perfection in god's relationship with humanity satan had fallen pre that so the fall comes and sin enters and in the old testament see the word promise in the Old Testament, there's a promise. There's a coming Messiah. Jesus is coming. He's going to set things right. God's going to fix the sin problem. Remember in Genesis when sin first happened? You get the first message of the gospel there. And so uh, God proclaims, well, you know, the serpent's going to come. but The, the woman uh, will have birth, uh, give birth and the tread on the serpent's head, etc. There's this first message that there's going to be salvation come. You could talk more about that. But anyway, so then later on, Jesus... The first advent of Christ comes and the kingdom breaks into history. I like to say to non-Christians, you know what, who are very sceptical, atheistic, I say, so what year is it, guys? And I go, well, 2018. 2018 years since when? Jesus came in split history. He crawled into the skin of the baby, if you like, and became incarnate. God came. Jesus said, who has seen me, seen the Father. He broke in, modelled, if you like, lived, showed us who God really is in the flesh, in a way that we can grab hold of and communicate to us and grasp in our mind and our heart. And then, as you know, he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. So the kingdom breaks in. Death, sin, Satan, defeated at that time. So he's broken in. And so the kingdom is established. Jesus came preaching a message, the gospel of the kingdom. And this continued on into Acts and then it was fleshed out and... uh, given more legs, I suppose, in relation to what Christ achieved through the epistles, but we go out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the kingdom, his kingdom come. So Jesus breaks in and his power has come now, and yet it is not fully here, and it won't be until he finally breaks in. This diagram helps me understand sometimes conundrums, if you like, of why some people get healed and others don't. Now, that opens a can of worms of what you think about healing and how it works and how it's administered. But it helps me to see that, yes, well, in heaven there will be no more sickness. There will be no more suffering. The kingdom will be fully established when Christ returns to the earth as well. But in the meantime, as we submit to him and come under his kingly rule in our hearts and in our church and we go out and we proclaim, the kingdom is released through us having faith and intimacy with him, listening to him, Being like Christ who said, well, I only do what I hear the Father saying. So we're in relational, walk with him and we are listening to the Spirit of God and cooperating with him and what he wants to do. All based on the word of God. His kingdom coming. The present evil age still exists. So when we talk about things like healing and deliverance and seeing people saved and radical conversions, that can excite us, but there's a certain reality too. Two people in our church have died in the last three or four months one of our elders' wives. And so you, you, your theology and your doctrine of healing have to ha- be able to grapple with that in a way that's biblical and practical and makes sense all at once. And there are different theologies and thoughts out there, and I'm not really talking about healing here today, but I do know this, that there's going to come a time where there absolutely will be no more sickness. And we, we pray for the sick and we, we believe God for healing now, but at the same time, people die because of sin. And we have to have, a, I'm not preaching on healing, but we need a strong theology to walk through this life in such a way that we don't destroy people's lives and give false hope. We need a good theology about healing and suffering. Now, I tell you what, The issue of suffering, when we want to advance the kingdom, that's a big deal to people out there. If there's a loving God who's all-knowing and all-powerful and all, do I say all-loving, all the omnis, if he's doing all of that, then why? Why do kids, babies, get raped by pedophiles? We have to have a strong theology to answer these sorts of things. Anyway, I should stop moving into what I really want to talk about. So we want to advance the kingdom and we have an understanding that it's not here in its fullness yet. Uh, and I want to talk today in the last bit of time that I have about what it is to have a kingdom mindset. A mindset that actually sees the importance of this, sees the priority of this, sees that Jesus has called us to this. We don't want to just be internally focused in our church, in our own lives, but we actually want to advance this kingdom. There's another slide. Uh, You can Google this concept. You can Google the now and the not yet. And you'll find various ways that this is expressed. And I find this helpful in the big picture of understanding the kingdom. So, moving on. I referenced this a couple of times, so we don't need to talk about it again But let's move on and actually look at what I like to call... Let me get organised here. The church, if you like, versus the kingdom. Everything's sliding. It's not really the church versus the kingdom. But what I want to do is, again, to rattle maybe the way that we think. Remember how I said that we can know that Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, establish the kingdom. But are we actually doing it, being doers of the word? And unfortunately, that's not quite centered on there, but you'll get the idea. And it's not really the church versus the kingdom because the kingdom is everywhere that Jesus is king and he may or may not be king in the church. But for us, we can have a mentality that, again, is very church-focused. And I want to just touch on some of these things. If we have a church-only focus, we tend to have the view that Christians go to church. Whereas... If we have a kingdom of God view, we realise that Christians are the church. Now again, most of you, you know that. That's pretty much ABC. When you become a Christian, you sort of realise, oh, it's not the building and it's not the meeting, but it's actually me. I have been born into the church. If we have a church-only mentality, we can think that church, is Sunday, sorry, is the main event. Sunday is the main event. And sometimes in our lives, we are so busy in everything that we're doing that, Really, it's all we can do in Christian commitments sometimes is to get to a meeting on a Sunday. If we have a kingdom of God mentality, Sunday is a place where we get encouraged from what's happened over the previous week, but also where we get equipped for this ministry of what we're doing when we go out. We should be refocusing on Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being equipped to take this gospel out into the world. If we have a church-only mentality, we can think, well, the minister does it all. But if we have a kingdom of God mentality, we realise that every one of us is a minister and we are meant to go out there. Ephesians chapter 4 says that leaders in the church are meant to equip the saints for what? Works of ministry. The guy that started NCMI once, he came to our church. And uh, on this point, he, he said this. He said, every time I go to a church, or sorry, every time I take over a church, he said, I'll start a church. He so said, what I like to do on the first Sunday is this. He said, and I think we'll do this today. He said, I've got a piece of paper and I like to give it to everybody in the church. And I want them to write on it. What's the things you really think that the pastor and his wife should be doing? So he said, this is what I like to do. So find out what the people think. So, and I'm sitting there when Dudley Daniel, the guy that said this, um, started the NCMI Network, him and some other guys. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh no, what's he doing to me here? He's putting me in the hot seat. <laughs> He's going to, all this pressure is going to be on me after you've been here. And he said he gets people to write down what what you really think, that Ian, that Ian, he needs to be doing this. Mel no needs to be doing that or if you're in the Deacon team as well. And I was feeling a little bit threatened. I thought, what's this guy up to? And so, but he said, then after I do that, he said, I get everyone, now have a look at that piece of paper. And he says, go do that. You go do that. I'm like, ooh. Now you don't just roll off and do whatever you want because that's chaos because you've got to do it in relational uh, context with your leaders and out of respect let people know what you're up to and bounce things off them. That's just normal church life. But you see the thing that you see often in church that you think that the church really should fix this thing is what's on your heart and you may have a gift and a disposition towards that. And so actually you may well be the person to fix that. And so a kingdom mentality is not looking at me, the leader, sorry, and thinking they should do it. And actually the leadership shouldn't be thinking, well, I've got all of these things to do now. We've had a church handed to us. I've got to do this, this, this. There's certain realities to that. But what we really need to do is to equip the saints for the works of service. And so Paul says that actually that we have this ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, that the whole church should take on this ownership of this mission. You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, someone pointed out to me recently, I thought, thought it was quite profound, There's a number of reasons why he wanted to go to Rome and why the book of Romans was written. And one of them was that he wanted a forward base of operation, if you like, to take the kingdom to Spain, if you read the whole book. And if you think of the known world back then, there's like Spain, and after Spain, if you go into the water, there's not much that they knew about. They probably had heard of England, and then there's Wales. And people said that Wales, people viewed it as the edge of the world. And I reckon the Apostle Paul, this is just my theory, I reckon he had such ownership of the kingdom message and his part in it that he thought that he was personally going to take this thing to the ends of the earth. It was so burning in his heart. The minister doesn't do it all. In fact, that's a sure way to burn out. But one of the major roles of the ministers is to equip the saints for the works of service and release you guys and you're in it together. A local church should have a sense of we're in this together in Jesus' mission. Not NCMIs, not City Edge per se. Yes, you can use that language, but ultimately it's Christ who
0: we're serving.
1: Do you have a church or do you have a kingdom mentality? If you have a church only mentality, you can think, well, the people are equipped to serve in house. We need people doing the coffee and we need people on the drums and we need people doing kids' church and we need, 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 need. All of these. Functions that churches naturally and normally do. We want to do that so that we can grow. Often we want all of those ministries, if I'm honest, so that when Christians visit us, they will see that we can provide for them and they might stay. I think we do that. But if we have a kingdom mentality, we're realizing that yes, we do those things because they're important, but we're also equipping the saints. How do you answer the person that says, How does the loving God is all powerful, all knowing? Allow suffering. You need an answer for that. Set apart crisis, Lord of your heart, Peter says, so that you are prepared. You have an answer for anyone that might ask you for the hope that is within you. When someone says to you, I don't believe the Bible because uh, you know of evolution. That used to be one of the things that tripped me out. What do you say to that? You say, oh, no, it's not. Well, uh, you Christians, you're anti-homosexual. You need to get with it. When I was in uh, England recently, we went over for my daughter's graduation Um, and I went out, was making a tradition of this with my daughter's boyfriend and we chat and he has a Christian background, he grew up in the church and he said this to me and I I believe it reflects a lot of how Western Christians are thinking he said, I think the Bible needs an overhaul, it needs a new version and from a non-Christian's point of view, you're right, it's funny to us, but from a non-Christian's point of view, I see what they're saying and some churches are capitulating to that, aren't they? And so they're saying we need to reimagine, reinterpret, or cut and shut the scriptures as we feel we can. Sometimes they just say, I just straight out don't want to accept, for example, the fact that God says that homosexuality is wrong. Others want to reinterpret it and say, no, the Bible doesn't address, uh, sorry, what is happening today through consensual adults. What are you going to say to people? And sometimes we can think about it theoretically, but I personally think that all of us should have some uh, gay people in our lives so that we humanize them they're people whom god loves they're made in the image of god do you know why they want to get married it's because they're made in the image of god and so they they want to get married because god stuck it in them to be married to have a lifetime partner to be one flesh um and it's broken sin or, or we're made in the image of god but it is stuffed up by uh sin on every level God communicates. Our communication is terrible. God's made us man and woman to be together, two people in, in sexual intimacy, you have children so on. It's messed up our society. That, so they want to do it their own way. It's broken. How do you answer that? Be absolutely loving, clear with what you understand with the Bible, represent Christ well, advance this kingdom through actually being in contact with, I mean it's a hot topic isn't it, particularly the gay marriage thing, That happened, but any aspect of life. So I have a friend who I grew up with, who's gay, and I think he's trying to be a Christian at the same time. He has some level of faith, and we were chatting one day backwards and forwards on Facebook, and we we went through all the backwards forwards things that you say about it all. He said, "So what you're saying is that I may have a desire for guys, because he was a guy," um, but he said. and God then doesn't want me to act on that desire. So this God who you want me to serve in your understanding of him, he wants me to live alone. And that's you think that's okay. Like, hmm. And you may well have an answer to that already, but we need to engage people if we're going to advance his kingdom. And I didn't quite know how to answer that as well as I could answer it now. So I said a few things to him. But my answer to that now, just by the way, would be, Um, I would say this. It's like, well, God does want us to have a holy sexuality, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. And I hear what you're saying, but I want you not to think that God does not have the ability, one, to help you, to be with you, two, and three, also to change you. Because our society, I mentioned this very briefly last night, our society... um, likes to say you're born that way in regards to many things but particularly on this issue and the whole gender fluidity thing is like nuts to us but people who are struggling in that we need again to have a good answer but scripture says that in fact if you're not born again you cannot see or enter into what the kingdom this kingdom jesus said you can be born again we don't want a gospel that's empty of power for change so in my brokenness when i came to christ there were many things wrong with me but there was a power of God to change. Not just some external thing, not just a show of religion, but power to change. Paul said, I read the verses at the start, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Why do you think he said that? Look at him. He was messed up, a murderer, killing people. He wrote half the New Testament. Plus, he'd seen other people. We've got a girl in our church whose her file is this fat, with the psych ward type people. She's med free. She's had cancer twice. She is not, I'm not speaking out of turn. I haven't said name yet, but I could. But she's public about this. She's a background of sexual abuse and rape, rape all the way through from about eight through to 21. And very incredibly messed up. But to me, she's like what we say in the church, a trophy of grace. Because God broke in. And work with it. I mean, we didn't know what to do with it at one point. I actually thought next time I hear about this girl, it'll be she's finally killed herself, uh, the funeral is on such and such day. Part of her story is that, going off on a bit of a tangent here, is that the only reason she is alive today is that when she went to the doctors once to fulfill a script, she had decided finally to actually do the deed completely. Researched it, knew that if she dropped them all, she'd die. The chemist, the only reason she's alive, the chemist gave her the wrong drugs. And when that happened, she thought, maybe God loves me after all, and he's interested. And it was the beginning of a long journey back. And she, to us, Angela, I often think, she's one of the reasons why church planning has been worthwhile. Uh, Because if we didn't, maybe she wouldn't be here, and maybe she would not be in heaven. I've gone on some tangents there. But we need to be equipped in this house to go out there. We cannot be just focused on here. This is not just a rah-rah sermon, and there's some of that. I want to inspire you and encourage you, but it has to be a grassroots change. And in fact, a lot of the issues that we see in church that may divide us over difference of opinion and stuff, I tell you what, if there's people getting saved on a regular basis, those things become almost inconsequential. And you think, why the heck were we so worried about what was going on with the coffee on a given day when this person over here from the drug world has been radically saved? Does that make sense? What is your mentality? Are you thinking small or kingdom? So we equip people to also serve in the marketplace. It's not either or, it's both and. I like that little saying. The mission is getting to meetings. It's a bit like the one getting to Sunday. Sometimes it feels like it's a mission to get to meetings. Oh, there's another meeting. Oh, I've got to get to that thing. But the mission is reaching the community and the nations. Often with a church you can think, and we're in this journey, we are trying to buy a building. It's not easy in Melbourne or Sydney. Um, but we can think, well, when we get a building, we'll do, blah, 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 blah. And when we have a building, it'll be fine. And you guys have a building for Sunday. You don't access this through the week. Is that right? So similar to us, really, we have a school that we meet in. And it's difficult, but I think we can't sit on our hands and wait till we have a building. And In fact, there are places where the church is thriving all around the world, China, springs to mind, where most of them do not have buildings. Some do, state-run church, but where God is moving when it's working in houses. I wonder if the level of persecution rose here a little bit more then perhaps the gospel might thrive because we start to get a kingdom priority. We can think about how hard it is to reach this culture, but how much is it really to do with the state of the church and where it is at? And so the mission can't be just about getting to buildings and meetings in buildings, but it actually depends on you and I. It doesn't depend on Ian and Mel and future elders that you'll have and deacons and so on. It's about you and me. And if we embrace that and say, yeah, okay, I accept this. I'm going to make it my kingdom priority because I'm taking it from Jesus we have a church versus kingdom mentality when it's just churches, Jesus is the saviour of the sheep here's this theme it's always internal Jesus is also though the king over all the nations next one sometimes this could touch on a raw nerve I don't know I'm just a visitor so I can leave sometimes when we have a church only mentality have you met people hopefully you're not one there wouldn't be any in this church they're incredibly focused on end time stuff. Uh, there's always a new date coming. You know what I mean? There's a blood moon coming. There's a time when Jesus is coming back. And, you know, I think we can study those things and think about those things. But we can be very focused on end times. And in the meantime, we can be separate and holy because we're apart from the world. But come out and be separate from them, which is that in Romans. I haven't got the reference here. When, when we are told to come out and be separate from the world, it's talking about morally and spiritually and separated to God, wholly toward Him with a message. Because how do you be salt and light and be stuck in the salt shaker in the torch that's not turned on, the bushel that's got a basket over it to use Jesus' word? We've got to get out there so that people can see who we are. And sometimes the only Bible that anyone is reading, you've heard some of these, some of them can be cliches. The only Bible that some people are reading is you, we should be inspired by end times though. When I went to Bible college many years ago, I've done it a couple of times, but when I was young, I went when I was 18, and the guy that was leading the college, he was a sneaky fellow. He said, I want you to look at the three main views on the end times. Tell us what they are briefly. Tell us in the assignment what you think is the right one. Then he said, this was the sneaky bit, He said, then I want you to say what are the practical outworkings of the one that you believe. I don't know if you know, but he was up to something. He was trying to prove a point and he did it well. So we're wrestling through which one do I believe about these millennial views of the end times, blah, blah, blah. And you get to the practical outworking of it. And you may already know this, what I'm about to say. The practical outworking for all three is exactly the same. Over there on your bookshelf, there's a book that's called Sticky Church, which I've read. There's another one called Sticky Teams, which our leadership team has looked at. It's a good book. Um, Really good on leadership, Sticky Teams. And he says, the guy who wrote it, I can't remember his name, he says, in their church, they have this policy with the preachers that when it comes to end times, we're the welcoming committee, we're not the planning committee. And actually, no one on leadership is to allow to, to preach in. Detail what their particular view is about the specifics of end times, because according to Scripture, end times should do three things: it should cause us to live a holy life. You keep the oil in the lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. You don't want to be unprepared. For the parable of the virgins. So you live a holy life because the Master is coming back. Don't bury your talent talent in the ground and do nothing with it. Be faithful to Christ because He's returning and there's a judgment seat coming for Christians where we will be judged on what we've done, not whether we get in, but what we've done as believers. You know about that. The Venus season in Greek, it's called, uh, 1 Corinthians talks about it. We're going to be judged. Again, not on whether you're in, but how faithful we've been with what he has given us. That should be sobering. And so end time should make us think, okay, okay, out of respect, not legalism, but because we love him, because he loved us, you know, all of that, good theology, holy fear. So we're not fiddling around. We don't, come to church and look at porn all week because we want to follow the king. And so we need to talk about those things in church because so many people are wrestling with stuff like that. First of all, holy, if we think about end times biblically. Second, hope. Some people have terrible lives, less in the West in some ways, but a lot of stuff is relative. You know, like New Zealand has the highest, I believe, rate of suicide per capita of any nation in the world. Australia is six or seven. Uh, We're doing a hope walk next Saturday. Um, You may have heard of that. A lot of NCMI churches are doing it. It's a Suicide Awareness and Prevention Day. It's getting bigger than Ben-Hur, the old expression is. We don't know whether we're going to have 150 or 800 people or or what, but we're on the radio and we're trying to serve our community and take hope out there. For believers, if you're going through a really difficult time, I think of the people in our church recently who uh, lost their spouses, There's a hope in the fact that we know that Jesus is coming back again. That this kingdom is going to be manifest in its fullness. And it it puts my suffering into a a level of perspective. And I can cope because I know Jesus is coming back and it's not going to be a permanent state of affairs. So firstly, holiness. That's what end times should inspire in us. Not endless debating and argument. Holiness. Hope. Evangelism. Surely. Get out, this gospel will be preached all over the world to every tribe, nation, tongue, every ethnicity. And that's the job, that's the mandate that we have from Christ. If we're kingdom mindset, then we can't just be focused on the church. Does that make sense? So the focus is on, uh, in the church can be getting, bringing people in, bums on seats. Sorry to be a bit crude. Uh, but you all know that what church is about is the ABCs. Attendance, buildings, cash. And if you've ever been in church leadership, you know it's true. And we do this, you get into a meeting like on a given Sunday and you're up the front usually if you're the pastor because you're doing stuff, one of the pastors, and you're thinking, is the building filling up? What's the attendance? You think, I wonder what that offering will be. Hopefully it's really high today because, you know, we're taking it. Um, But buildings, what are we doing? Where are we going? Have we got an acceptable space? The advancing of the kingdom is not dependent on any of those things. Do you reckon that Jesus was super concerned about how much money their little band had and in the, in the effectiveness of his, of his mission? Well, he... was that? Yes, well, he allowed that guy, Judas, to be in charge of the money and he knew what was going on with him. It's a bit of a mystery of the level of his omniscience. You know, he emptied himself, but yeah, Absolutely. But I don't reckon how full the coffers were would have made much difference. I know a guy that took over a church in Newcastle and he went in and he found that it was in a mess financially. And so he felt like, well, he couldn't bless people. He had a real heart for the poor. His church, he's not leading it now, but his church still feeds hundreds of meals a week to the poor. Westpac give them two floors of their building in the central Newcastle for a dollar a year or something, you know, one of these deals because of all the good work he does with the homeless and so on. When he first went into that church, he just was trying to do kingdom ministry. They had a building, they had some money, they had these great resources, but they were broke. So what he did was he just gave every cent they had away. Everything. Just gave it away. And he stood up in front of the church and informed them of that. You know, they didn't have a lot, a few thousand dollars. He just said, I just gave it all away. Just got to give it away. We need to get it. We need to change our mindset about how we think about Finances, usually pastors like to try and convince you why you should give 10%. I believe in tithing, but I tell you what, I think God wants all, all of it, you know, and he wants us to be led by his spirit. I believe in that principle, but also Jesus said crazy things like, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing regarding giving. He, he elevated the widow's might. So we can think about numbers and stuff, but God wants your heart. He wants you to be radical. He wants you to have a kingdom heart that is just off the charts and sometimes illogical in what we do out of response to him. And so we can have these focuses that are just internal, but we need to have a bigger kingdom heart. Maybe I'll do one or two more. I realize I'm running out of time. It can be about my local church instead of king of kingdom. So I've been saying that. It can be entertainment. It can be equipping. They say in the US that a lot of what the church preaches is moral, therapeutic, Deism. What that means is in the church we're telling people how to live nice lives, be moral. We're trying to do self help sermons and there's nothing necessarily wrong with these, but it's the the priority that they're given. Sometimes the preach can always be about how to overcome anxiety and depression and we we do that. I'm preaching on exactly that on the day after we do the Hope Walk, morning and night in our church. There's a place for that. But we can't lose sight of the fact that we're preaching the gospel. We want to make it clear. We want to make it clear that there's a hell. Make sure that people know that if we don't have a relationship with Christ and our sins forgiven, that the future for us is hell. We are all eternal beings. And so we're going to end up in one of those locations. We need to preach the gospel clearly. I love what one of the older preachers said. It might have been Spurgeon. He said, every time a preacher preaches hell, he should do it with a tear in his eye and in his heart. If I was God, I think I'd be the sort of person who would just want to let everybody in, but I'm not God. I don't understand sin the way that he does and I'm not here to represent Dale's latest ideas, but I'm here to represent the king and his kingdom. It doesn't mean I can't do it without or shouldn't do it without love. Absolutely should be love in everything that we do. We don't want to just have a self-help message. We want a radical new birth. The cross, repentance, power to change through the cross Paul at the end of his life said I want to know Christ the power of his resurrection what does that mean I think resurrection is rising out of death into life near the end of his life he said I want to know Christ and I want to change more into his image the power of his resurrection we need to be on about king kingdom issues We can be thinking, well, the church can be about serving me. You might come on a Sunday. I want it to be good. I want the preacher to say what I want him to say. I don't want to get too ruffled. And we can have a consumer mentality or we can come and say, how can I serve? What can I do? We can be waiting for heaven. We can be bringing heaven to earth. We can be staying or, pardon me, we can be going. Would you like to stand up with me? And I'd like to pray with you isn't one of those sermons really where you have an altar call um, but it's more my, my goal I suppose my motive is just to challenge the way we think King James there's a verse, a verse that translates I don't think the others translated but I think the principle is true it says as a man thinks in his heart so he is and if our thinking becomes kingdom orientated Jesus first I'm a messenger of the king I'm an ambassador of Christ When I go out of this place, that's who I am. I'm I'm his child and I'm representing him. That's quite different to thinking, well, church was nice and I'm going out the door and now I've got all these things to do. These cares of this world that distract me from that kingdom priority of seek first the kingdom. So it's more of a challenge to our thinking and
2: if our thinking
1: changes, then our speech changes and our actions changes. So i suppose like the psychologists call that what uh what is it cognitive behavior therapy let it be biblical cognitive behavior therapy that results in behavior modification to his glory so let's pray father i thank you for this church lord i thank you for the people that are in it i thank you that you have gathered them together lord uh, they are not here by mistake I thank you, God, that each one of us here today from different backgrounds, we're here because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've done something inside of us and changed us. And so, Father, we thank you that you've done that in us. I pray you give us a real heart to see that happen in others' lives. Lord, I pray there be a kingdom mentality established in City Edge. Father, though it's not a proud thing, it's actually humbly submitting to your will and saying God, let your kingdom come into City Edge, into my life. Let your will be done in this church and in my heart. Lord, I pray that you motivate us to realize that we are all representatives of the King and your kingdom. I pray you empower us by your Holy Spirit to represent you well and even with supernatural power. Lord, not just our words, but laying hands on the sick, seeing people healed, seeing people set free in your mighty name. Father, I pray that you put a kingdom deposit into this church right now. In Jesus' name, Amen. God well, bless you guys. Thank you. I hand over to Ian.
0: Thanks, Dale. It was... Uh challenging and encouraging at the same time I trust we'll all walk out with a kingdom mindset and uh, yeah, I know I'm going to be challenged to walk and live in that um, thank you Dale thank you Angela for coming down ministering this weekend um, really appreciate it we'll get you back again in the future
2: thanks for listening to City Edge Church
0: For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.